Hey guys, welcome back. This is Chris. And this is Justine. We thought we would take some time to talk a little bit more about uh, what it actually means to build a multi-generational family team on mission and kind of uh, elaborate a little bit on um, where that concept even came from, how it pertains to you, how it pertains to Western culture, uh, how it pertains to the church, um, and what the benefits of it are. Um, I think it might have been a little ambiguous after our last epi- episode. episode. <laughs> um, so we thought we would uh, take some time on that. Yeah. Any, any thoughts? No. No. <laughs> well, why don't I start with kind of giving a little bit of a framework here. And the multi-generational family team on mission makes the most sense um, when we take a deep dive into understanding the current family situation that we have. Um, and so where we start with this is typically with the concept of kind of individualism and autonomy. And, and as Western culture um, begins to creep further and further down the road of individualism and autonomy um, being the sole focus for society, and, and the result of that is personal happiness is... Uh, my sole focus and self-love is my sole focus and in individual pursuits become uh, the center focus for me and every other individual on the planet. That's kind of the mantra. And what ends up happening is that marriage actually becomes uh, very little more than a collection of individuals who have agreed to pursue personal happiness together. And until there comes a time when, those pursuits of happiness collide and they decide, okay, we're done with this marriage and we move on. And that's what we're seeing all through our culture is people are getting married. Um, and then when they realize that marriage is actually, uh, well, they may not realize this, but they're experiencing that marriage is made for your holiness, not your happiness. They're actually, you know, jettisoning jettisoning which is what we call it in the army like getting rid of their stuff to cut ties to to move on and uh the evidence that we see of this happening is pretty clear like you see divorce rates in culture um divorce rates in the church even are significantly high uh anxiety stress things like that are kind of at an all-time high uh the hustle and grind culture is kind of shaping this new narrative for us that kind of personal happiness and fulfillment will be found in creating this business and your calling and pursue that. And, um, you know, there's also these thoughts that like, well, you know, maybe it's perhaps to, to impact or have influence on a group of people that you've actually never met in your entire life at the expense of, your closest relationships being nurtured, like your spouse and your community and things like that. And so we're seeing the impact of what this individualistic Western culture is having on marriage specifically. But, um, you know. Well, then you like, then you start adding in kids and it's a whole other ball game. And I feel like that's why even the um, idea of kids has become so, um, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Like 
like it's not desirable <laughs> to have kids. Yeah. Um, and it's more desirable to kind of do your own thing. Cause when you have kids, you can't do your own thing. Like 99.9% of the time it's revolving around the kids in one way or another. Um, yeah, I mean, even uh, our mentors um, were originally from Seattle, and they talk a lot about uh, what we experienced in Seattle, which was this kind of like dog mom and dog dad culture. It's yeah. Like, you know, let's go the easy route of not having kids. This this allows us to still focus on our individual pursuits and our personal happiness, um, but we can pretend that we're nurturing and raising something. Right, which is totally opposite of like what the Bible says, where it says like um, children are a gift from the Lord, God's greatest gift. I think it says, yeah, it does. It says God's greatest gift. Um, I think it's in Proverbs, um, and that stuck out to me recently. Like, are we treating these our children, or are we looking at children? as a whole, as God's greatest gift, most often we're looking at them as like a burden or a frustration or something that kind of gets in the way of what we want to do when really God gave them to us to like help us become better people, become more like Jesus. Yeah. And the issue that we see is that those that decide to have kids probably reluctantly are unfortunately, you know, and, and I say this with grace as much as possible, but I, I don't think they're doing a fantastic job at raising kids. Um, and it's not because they're not skilled. It's not because they're not able um, I just think, quite frankly, culture has lied to us about what raising kids really is. And, you know, you see 80% of kids in the church are leaving the Christian faith by the time they enter college. 60% um, of kids in the U.S. are growing up some, uh, some part, if not all, of their childhood without their father. Um you know the the things that we're seeing as results are, are are things that we just can't like we can't get around the fact that something's broken right yeah i mean it's yeah there's just like there's not a value a high value placed on children so when there's not a high value placed on children they're just kind of there's not a lot of intentionality in the way that you structure your home you structure your days yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, what we start seeing is like these fathers are, and this was very much me. So I don't, I don't say this from a position of, um, being perfect in this area. Cause, um, I've grown tremendously, um, by the grace of God in the last couple of years in this area, but uh, fathers are are regularly in our society trading their time with their family for their personal pursuit or like corporate entrepreneurial endeavors of, of success. And like they have their identity so wrapped up in their work 
um, because that's how our society defines success. And so you've got these fathers that are um, being praised for leaving their families to go spend more time at work. Um, and then you've got moms. I mean, what what are moms dealing with? Like, what's the pressure for them? Well, they're just left at home to try to figure all of it out um, rather than like having it be kind of like a both parents helping kind of thing. And we're not, this is not like us trying to um, pick anybody apart or anything. We're just saying there's a problem and there's like a better way of doing life and doing family. Uh, and so we're just kind of <laughs> walking through, this is the problem that we see in Western culture as far as how we how we view family, children, all of that. Yeah, I mean, I think what we're experiencing as results right now, like the high divorce rates, the kids leaving in droves from the Christian faith, like kids being raised without fathers, like all of these things are simply symptoms of a deeper issue is kind of the point that we're trying to make. Yeah. This is like the fever um, that you experience, um, but the fever is not what's broken when you are sick, right? Like you have a virus, and the virus is actually what's causing the fever, which is the symptoms. So right now, we're experiencing this painful fever as a society is the way I would put it, and the virus is actually a broken approach to family, um, especially for Christians. Um, but I think that goes for everybody. Um, yeah. So then what do we do? Like, do you want to dive into like, how do we yeah. <laughs> change that? What's or? the solution? <laughs> yeah. Um, give, give us some hope, babe. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we're still trying to figure this out, um, in full for our family, but I think there's some really good, um, basic framework that you can start to look at, but we, we have to go back to Genesis and we have to understand what was the first time that family was mentioned and what were we supposed to look like as a family? What were we told to do? So when you go back to Genesis one, that's where the first mention is Genesis one twenty eight. Um, it says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill and subdue the earth and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He basically tells the family, like, you're blessed specifically to become fruitful as I, God defined fruitfulness, right? Like, we don't get to define what fruit is. That comes from God. Um, to flourish, to increase in number to the point of abundance, right? So like the original Hebrew word um, for, uh, to like multiply there is, is rabah, which is to become much, like many or in abundant amounts. Um, they were told to be full, uh, which is actually quite literally like complete, consecrated, filled, or armed, like is kind of the way that that original Hebrew is uh, defined. Uh, in all the earth is is pretty literally like 
in the lands, the land, countryside, countries, um, like basically the place that you own, the, the area of your influence, your residence, your responsibility, and uh, to bring the world and its creatures into subjection to God's way, right? So to fill and subdue, it like quite literally means to bring into bondage, like we're supposed to bind up the world around us, like to assault it, to subject it to the way of the father. Now the way of the father is, is loving and gentle. Um, so like those words are pretty like fierce sounding, yeah. but it's just the way that we go about life with intentionality that makes those things powerful. Not like the, um, not the tools that we use, I guess, like, People often say that I have a hammer because it's like everything looks like a nail, right? Uh, like uh, I'm not as concerned about the tool, like whether or not you're smashing through a wall, but it's the intentionality or the intent behind how purposeful you are. Um, you really should be focused on bringing the world that you are responsible for into submission to the way of the Father. Um, and... Families are designed and then commanded by God to flourish as people and bear fruit and to grow in number and to the point of like abundance of numbers even to become complete, full, prepared, and then bring into our territories the subjection to God's way and structure. And the thing that you mentioned earlier kind of leads us into thinking about Psalm 127 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And our uh, our mentors would describe this as like, man, blessed is he? Like, Like most men would respond as... Like strapped for cash is he stressed is he <laughs> yeah anxious is he overwhelmed overwhelmed uh like all the things like not that, getting to do what you want to do yeah all the <laughs> things that come to mind when people who are on an individual pursuit of personal happiness think about having a handful of kids a whole heap of children right a quiver in this day and age, was actually somewhere between 8 and 12 arrows. So, those of you guys who are considering having kids or having kids already, God's telling you to have 8 to 12 no. kids. No, I'm kidding. Uh, totally kidding. Um, but the Bible is reminding us that children are a heritage. Uh, they are an inheritance that will be passed down. Our qualities and our characteristics and our character are passed to the generations after us. Um, like a heritage is something that's uh, emblematic of like great craftsmanship. Um, you think of like the um, like the pocket watch that your grandpa passes down to you, right? Like there's yeah. just like incredible craftsmanship and it's something that's from generation to generation. Like that is children to us. Yeah, totally. But, like, oftentimes fathers will point their, um, I guess, craftsmanship or their skills towards 
work, business, life, um, maybe their hobbies, but not so Mm -hmm. much like towards their kids. For sure. So what would it look like to do, to like point them towards their kids instead? Yeah. So this is a question actually that we revisited the other day. Um, you know, we were listening back on a conversation, um, with some people that we know and, um, kind of thinking back through this question, it's, it's a tough one to be thinking through, but, um, like, what does it look like to point your gifts at your family? And so I asked Justine, like, Hey, how am I gifted? And like, what would that look like in this season to point my gifts at my family? And, um, you know, we talked about business building and entrepreneurship and different things. And like, how do those apply to what we are trying to accomplish at home, which is to raise incredible children and to build a multi-generational legacy and a legacy of faith, I might add, not of wealth necessarily, although we do want to pass down resources to our kids and to our grandkids. Um, But I think that's a great question to start with because most of us, um, the coaching gene for families like doesn't seem natural even though it's built into you most of us have found and have been trained and brainwashed by culture that like the ability for us to coach and lead teams and to be incredible leaders and to think strategically and organizationally and to um, plan and to um, use whiteboards and to do all these things um, is only for the workplace yeah. And or your nonprofit or your church or your ministry, and that's or like just not the case. Creating a vision for your family. Did you say that? You know, I, like no, I didn't say that. That's a good point. Intentional about like what what is what is our family built for, made for? Yeah, what has God created us to do through like our personality types, through the different experiences that we've been through together as a family. Um, you know, just when it was just you and me as a family. And then as we started adding kids to the family, what does that look like? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think there's yeah. so many different things that you can look at like business or like um, team building, coaching a team and think all of that can be pointed towards my family and being more intentional about creating a team atmosphere within my home. Yeah. Yeah. That really hit home with me. Um, as we, we talked a little bit last time about the family teams weekend and that whole crew. Um, so one of our mentors, Jeremy Pryor, um, he, he's in incredible insights to some of these things, but he was the way he described this, that really like, jabbed my heart when I was like listening was like, he's like, those of you guys who are moaning and groaning about like, Oh, when I go home, I don't want to think about whiteboards or like all that stuff. Like that's work stuff. And and he said, no whiightboards and planning and those things, those are vision tools. That's and good. your family currently doesn't have a vision for where it's going. And so I was like, wow. Okay. Those things aren't work things. We've just decided to assign them to work. 
but they're vision tools. And our family, um, at first mention in Genesis, was given a mandate by God, was given a vision. He said, go, do these things. This is what I've made possible for you. Go and make it happen. And that's all you're really doing with your family is you're saying like, okay, how did you create us, God? Like, how's Justine gifted? How am I gifted? How are my kids gifted? Even at two and four, you can start to see the ways that they, yeah. they're they like wired. And, and you can really like, Asher loves to like, help people to be involved and to serve things. And like, yeah, like at church, he's picking up all the Bibles from all the chairs after church. Like we, we can identify things with him at a very early age. So how is our family going to accomplish mission together? And so we have to first start thinking about family as a team. You are not a collection of individuals. Um, you are individuals within a team yeah. on a collective mission together. Yeah. And that collective mission is to go and make disciples. You're Jesus followers first and foremost. That mandate has to start in the home. Um, then it has to move to your uh, regular gatherings and then from there out into your city church and then out into the global church. But it starts in the home. And if it doesn't start there then that's the the first challenge that we have is like, how are we making disciples in our home? And that starts with our kids and then extends out. Um, and so I think that's really important. But most dads, including myself, when I started thinking about how do I disciple my kids, um, it came down to like, what are the tools that we can use to do a better job of thinking about family as a team and discipling our kids well. And that's where we were introduced to Jewish culture. And we're not Jewish. We don't want to be Jewish. Um, we are not Old Testament legalists either. Um, we believe solely that we are saved by the grace of God in Christ Jesus and in Him alone, not by works. Um, but there's some really cool, cool things that you can see in the Jewish um culture and traditions that are really helpful for families going down this journey. Um, what? Well, like, are you saying, cause the Jewish community, um, like is living this way? Yeah. So this, w what we're kind of describing with the multi-generational family is like, you know, this is the Genesis family. This is the, classical family, the Old Testament biblical family. This is the way God designed it. And so, you know, all of what we see throughout scripture um, up until actually all the way through some of the the New Testament, even uh, much of the New Testament shows this similar type of family. Um, so this is like all they knew. This is all they knew. This is Jewish culture. Yeah. This is the people of God. This is the way that they did family. It wasn't until several hundred years ago um, that family started to shift. And it was really the last 50 to a hundred years that it kind of took a, a nosedive um, hmm. in Western culture. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think let's talk about Jewish really quick Jewish uh, families, because I think that's important to set the stage for like why we found it valuable to like pursue looking into some of these things. 
So from a, a Jewish standpoint, um, their families have um, kind of a complete opposite retention issue, um, not issue, a retention rate in their faith. Um, those families and homes, they've got about a 90% plus retention rate when their kids um, uh, are becoming adults and staying in the Jewish faith. Now, what's fascinating to me is like, I'm a Christian, so like, I believe that as Christians, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and he's guiding and convicting and shaping and, and helping you pursue a life of faith, right? Like he's empowering you to become like Jesus. And we still have 80% leaving the faith. They don't have the Holy Spirit because they're not believers in Jesus. And they have an inverse like retention rate. That was fascinating to me. Yeah. Cause they're like creating a culture that where people want to be a part of it. Yes. Right. Like, yeah, this is amazing. I don't want to leave this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a huge part of it. I, I remember, um, hearing one stat, um, that was like Jewish families will oftentimes allow for some of their kids to like take some of their money and go try to start a business in the name of the family and like to bring it under the umbrella of the family to start a new business mm-hmm. from that family name. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and in this case, there's usually already another business that's like up and running. Sure. Um, and if they fail, they come back and like, this can happen sometimes two or three times depending on the family and depending on their financial situation before they actually like kind of, press pause and stop. Right. So like Mm -hmm. they want to support their children in building continued multi-generational impact. Like equipping them, enabling them to. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. That's cool. Um, which leads kind of to this thought about wealth and, and Jewish people, um, they equate to about 2% of the U S population, but they actually control about 40% of the nation's resources. And that's pretty crazy. 30, well, 20 to 30% of Pulitzer prize winners and Nobel peace prize winners are Jewish. Um, you just like, you start to see, um, there's something different about the way they do family, the outcomes of their lives, their, the way they do um, like rhythms, work and rest. Yeah. And that, that's a huge one. Um, do you want to talk about that? Um, I think that's for a different episode. Different episode. Because <laughs> that's a whole, yeah. Oh, guys, don't get me fired up on this stuff. <laughs> then I'll just talk all day long. So we'll try to wrap this up. But um, so what is it then living a multi-generational uh, family team on mission life? And really, um, the best way I could sum it up is living from a place of authority as Heirs with Christ, um, saved and sanctified only by the power and the work of Jesus and his grace. Like that, that's the clarifying component to all of this while enjoying and benefiting from some of the God created marriage and family principles, um, rhythms, rituals, things like that, that exist in the old Testament and living into our heritage as people of God through the lens of the cross. And so 
really what that means is there's a lot of God-created things all throughout the Old Testament that he used to help continue to shape people's perspective and to keep them thinking about him and to help them raise their children from generation to generation in faith. Um, And so we, as New Testament believers, still have access to all of that. Paul said, all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching and rebuke and all those things, right? What he was talking about is the Old Testament. The New Testament, which he wrote most of, was not in circulation. They didn't have a Bible. They did have the Torah. So what he's saying is that everything that God put down on paper is profitable for us. It just has to be looked at through the right lens. We don't look at it through the lens of the law. We look at it through the lens of grace and the cross. And now we can glean from these things that God created like a seven-day week and go, oh, God, you created us a day of rest, and our souls can benefit from that. We don't have to rest. In fact, we can run ourselves into the ground, and we can die of a heart attack and stress and still be a Christian and go to heaven. I believe that. But we can lean into what God's created and his graces. And so that's just one small example, but really, um, there's an entire book called the Bible full of incredible wisdom that I think from a family perspective, all the way down to the individual life rhythms that each of us has, there's a lot that we can take away that we, I don't think spend a lot of time looking at. Yeah, I agree. So that's... A, a little bit of a framework in, t- in terms of understanding what it looks like to build a multi-generational family team, kind of what that perspective is, um, what the family team's crew is doing um, to kind of get this out into the world. And and we, by, by no means, are experts on this. We are kind of regurgitating um, all of the training that we've received over the years and um, our perspectives on family um, And, uh, so I would just say that, uh, do some research and kind of look into this and think about it and pray about it and read scripture. Um, and we'll kind of break down some of these in little pieces from time to time and talk about our own family rhythms and talk about Sabbath and a variety of stuff, but that'll kind of be sprinkled in, in future episodes, but wanted to give you guys an idea and, uh, hopefully this was helpful. Yeah. Bye. Talk to you later. (laughs)